Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. Today, our guest is Tim Hamrick of the Future of Agriculture podcast. And he's going to talk to us today about all the really cool people he's interviewed, some really cool things you've learned. He is also going to talk to us about an interview that he has with an astrobiologist. So it's straight out of the Martian, which is really, really neat. Um, also some things he's learned about kind of going farmer, what farmers are doing to go direct to consumers, ag tech careers, and that there's more than just farming and ranching careers in the agriculture industry. So it's a great conversation with Tim. Um, really hope you enjoy it. Listen to his podcast. It's the Future of Agriculture podcast on all your favorite podcast players. Um, check it out. This is episode 28 with Tim Hamrick. Well, welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. Tim Hamrick, how are you doing? Uh, doing great, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Hey, absolutely. It's always great to have another agriculture podcast on. So you are with the Future of Ag podcast. Tell me how that kind of got started and also what your ag background is exactly. Sure. I'll start with my ag background. I grew up on just a small farm, a hobby farm in Northern California in Sonoma County. Um, my dad has a trucking company that hauls grapes and wine and my mom does uh, foster care and daycare. And so we just kind of had a, a little bit of acreage and we carved out a niche um, business selling meat to ethnic markets. So we sold pigs and goats live to Hispanic markets and ducks live to Asian markets. And so that was my agriculture background growing up. Um, I also did the 4-H and FFA thing. Uh, ended up going on to be an estate and national FFA officer. And so spent a couple years out of high school doing that before going to college. Um, then I got my degree in crop science and management from UC Davis um, and started in the commodities business. Um, in 2015, that was when the future of agriculture got started, and that was because I went on, out on my own um, 
in the recruitment space and thought I need a way for both candidates and client companies to know who I am. And podcasting was, was not as big as it is now, but it felt like it was starting to get big. And so I sort of hopped on the wave and, um, and did a podcast. But, but what I found early on is uh, my original thesis that we would just talk about careers in agriculture and career, uh, career development in agriculture um, wasn't as interesting to me or the audience as innovation in agriculture. So I started talking to entrepreneurs and innovators and investors, and that's really uh, what we've done. I think we're, we've released something like 165 or so episodes now, and uh, all centered around sustainability, ag tech, food security, and rural entrepreneurship. That's super cool. Yeah, you guys have got, I mean, when I first started looking at starting a podcast, I know the Future of Ag was a big podcast out there. And there are a handful of other ones like Shark Farmer and stuff like that. So it sounds like you're doing really cool stuff. I had no idea you were a state and national officer. What year were you a state officer? You're going to date me here. I was a <laughs> state officer in California in 2000, 2001, and then a national officer 2002, 2003. Okay, cool. Not bad. I was a Florida State officer in 2009 to, the, to 2010. So okay. small world. I remember um, you know, it's always cool to meet a national officer no matter what. So it, it's very cool to virtually meet you. I was at national convention in Indiana a few years ago working. The, the, this group of old farmers walked up to me. We were talking. I was in my official dress. And they're like, oh, well, this guy right here, he's a national officer or he was back in the 70s. I was like, oh, man, nice to meet you. And so I talked to him. We talked for a few minutes. And then I was working a booth and um, later on in the week, he just happened to walk by and he remembered my name. He was like, hey, Trevor, how's it going? I was like, hey, man, we just talked for a few minutes. And he was like, you know, are you thinking about national office? I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I like to run. Um, I think it'd be really cool to be a part of. And he said, Trevor, I think you'd be a great guy for it. You should try it out. See ya. And he just walked off. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was the coolest thing ever. Uh, it's amazing. A little bit of encouragement can go a long, long way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was a really cool conversation. Um, so one of the things you've talked on is that there's a lot of non-farming agriculture careers out there, which is something I'm trying to hammer home to a bunch of people. When I was teaching, a lot of kids thought, oh, well, you've got to be like a typical farmer to be in agriculture. Well, no, there's a lot more stuff out there. There's, you can be a botanist. You can be a hydroponic person. You can do so much more ag tech agribusiness there's so much more than traditional farming so what's some things you've learned along the lines of non-farming agriculture careers yeah so on our website uh, for for our recruiting company aggrad we've got a an ebook that has 327 different careers listed out in agriculture and so one of those is farmers farmer and one of those is rancher and the rest of them are all you know something different and people that really is kind of eye opening for a lot of people and in fact i think that list is probably expanding i mean with things like plant-based foods and cell grown foods and a lot of the ag tech space you know um that are happening, that there's new careers popping up all the time. And so as a recruiter, you know, what I consider my quote unquote day job is I recruit for midsize agribusinesses and growing ag tech firms. And so there's a, the example I always like to use uh, of, of a new career that maybe didn't exist a decade or more ago is uh, customer success, which is kind of like geek squad for agriculture, where uh, you, you don't necessarily sell technology, but if a, if a farmer or rancher buys a technology, they need to, first of all, learn how to operate it. They need to know what the features do, when to use the features. They need to be able to troubleshoot it, and someone needs to help them with all that. So it's actually a really interesting career where you are consulting with farmers to help them solve their greatest problems with technology on a daily basis. And that's just one example. Um, I, w one thing we recruit a lot for is in processing 
processing. So either in, in feed and grain processing after it leaves the farm or in meat processing, obviously, after it leaves the farm, um, there's this whole value chain, this whole supply chain that needs talented people. And maybe 20 years ago, they could go out and say, hey, we want to find that farm kid who doesn't want to work on the farm anymore. He wants to get a job in, in agribusiness. And as uh, the producer producers of agriculture have shrunk to now close to 1% of the population. So have those farm kids that they used to find 20 or more years ago. And, and so now we really need people who have zero background in agriculture to come pursue some of these careers in ag tech and agribusiness. Have you, have you learned a lot about urban agriculture? Because that's something I'm really like, I, I love learning more and more about. It's one of those non-traditional agriculture things that is kind of both typical agriculture, agriculture kind of, but also very tech-based as, you, as you've got more hydroponic, more aeroponic businesses kind of starting in, in New York or Miami or New Orleans or these big-time cities. So have you seen a lot of people kind of focusing towards urban agriculture? Yeah, I think it's definitely a growing field. I mean, you've got companies like Plenty or Bowery Farming or Gotham Greens that are popping up in very urban areas growing, you know, like local and a lot of times vertical farms or aeroponic farms or hydroponic farms. Um, you know, a lot of those are highly automated. So the jobs that go into those maybe aren't, you know, definitely aren't your traditional farming jobs. They may be working with the automation or they may be working with the marketing or they may work, may be working with logistics, but certainly, you know, that, that budding industry is attracting a whole new type of, of agriculturist. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've been meaning to interview Gotham Farms. I think there's such a really cool um, greenhouse operation going on in New York. It's so cool. And I've seen more and more of these um, kind of ag tech businesses get started. And we just interviewed um, somebody with a company called Agri Agritecture. And they're all about kind of consulting businesses to how they can develop more agriculture sound businesses and hydroponic setups and all that stuff. So that's really, really cool. Um, yeah. Was it, was it Henry you had on? He it was, was on Henry. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great guy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so what about, you've covered some podcasts where farmers are trying to go directly to the consumers, where they're trying to take out the middlemen and they're trying to save costs and save things like transportation and stuff. So what's some things you've learned there and what are some examples of people trying to sell directly to the consumer or directly to restaurants and businesses? Sure. I'm, I'm really glad you asked about this because I, I think this is a trend that's maybe happening um, on a small scale right now, but I could really see it exploding in the future. So essentially what's happening is, you know, in the last uh, six years, especially the ag tech boom has, has brought billions and billions of dollars in, in, in investment money into ag tech. And, uh, the, a lot of those technologies are geared towards making a farmer more efficient. So making them the low cost provider of, of agricultural goods. And if I'm a farmer in, in this environment and I'm seeing billions invested in making me the lower cost producer, but still I'm making less money in terms of margin or even negative margins, I'm going to start to think, okay, maybe the problem here isn't in my production efficiency. Maybe the problem here is on the other side of the equation, which is how I market my product. And maybe being subject to commodity markets and commodity markets alone is is not a good long-term strategy for me. So is it possible to go direct? And of course you, you have, you know, farmers markets, you have CSAs, you've got the local sort of farm stand type uh, marketers, but that's not really viable for somebody who's maybe in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska and, and doesn't have a large population close to them. Now, 
Uh, the flip side, though, is you've got technology. So you, you do have companies like Amazon that are pouring a lot of innovation into last mile logistics and connecting people online. So as we start to see that technology develop and connecting uh, consumers to producers online and then solving the, the really, really challenging logistical component, I could definitely see producers of all sizes in all areas start to go direct. And, and I have featured some of the uh, examples of things going on. One recent episode, we had uh, Chris Damico is the founder of a company called Farmed, which is essentially an online platform that handles the marketing and logistics for producers uh, as far as four hours away from an urban center. Um, then you've got the individual producers that are that are kind of tampering with this. Two that come to mind is a, a guy named Gavin Spore, who's a college student in Missouri who did not grow up on a farm, but started farming in college and is paid, paying his way by growing popcorn and selling it directly to uh, consumers either online or through uh, his local supermarkets. Or um, another one, uh, uh, a girl named Hannah who's got a company called Oak Barn Beef in Nebraska who sells coast to coast via online. Uh, she sells beef. And so it's starting to happen and we're seeing maybe some of the, the younger producers get interested in it first because they're willing to think outside the box and uh, learn this new technology, but I could really see technology, especially as you start getting into like autonomous vehicles that can ship the stuff, uh, really open up some doors for direct to consumer. That's really cool. Yeah, you might be seeing some of these Amazon drones. We start delivering tomatoes or beef or pork to directly to consumers, which would be really, really cool. We just interviewed a company in the UK called Vine Farm Dairy, and they have a milk vending machine at their dairy. And so instead of um, sending it off and get bottled, they, the milk machine there um, local people in their village can come up, bring their own glass bottle, fill it up, and boom, they're, they're cutting out transportation costs, they're saving numerous bottles of plastic, and they're basically just going direct to consumers. And also, it's a great way where they can kind of build relationships and show people what's going on at their dairy. So that's really, really cool. And I'm glad more and more people are kind of getting there or are using technology to kind of source food locally and transporting it locally. So that's really cool. Yeah, I think that's a great example. And then you think, okay, well, what about what about that farm that's in the Panhandle of Texas and that's not close? You know, could you start to develop something like Uber Eats that essentially goes and picks up that milk from the vending machine and just delivers it? Now, what's unique about that is the consumer can still buy direct from the dairy and the transporter is just acting as a third-party logistics provider rather than somebody who's trying to uh, take the ownership of the product product and be in the middle of producer and consumer. And that's a big paradigm shift. Could more of the agribusiness uh, value chain be like third party providers rather than people who separate producer from consumer? Kind of off the top of your head, do you know how much that could increase farmer profits if they just go directly to the consumers? Now, right now, I, I think it's like, what, 14 cents the farmer gets on the, on the dollar for every food spent on or every dollar spent on food. So how much could their profit increase if they're able to sell directly to consumers? Yeah, that's going to vary quite a bit on what the product is. If it's heavily processed, you know, it's really, really tough for, let's say, a wheat farmer to go ahead and set up their own flour mill, you know what I mean, and actually operate at scale. But if it's something that's fresh market, like your example about milk, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know exactly what the number is, but I would think it would be quite significant. If they're able to pasteurize it there and sell direct, um, I, I would think it'd be quite significant. 
that, that, that's awesome. So, all right, let's talk about something that I really want to talk more about, and that's farming in space. So you just released a podcast with Dr. Ray Wheeler, an astrobotanist, which is about the coolest job title ever, <laughs> and kind of his work on growing plants in space with the International Space Station and all that. So what was that conversation like, and what were some big takeaways you have from that interview? Yeah, I, I got to start off by, by giving a shout out to the person who made that introduction happen. And, and uh, that is uh, Dr. Fatima Kaplan. And she has a company called Ferronim. And they are basically uh, doing some really interesting things with uh, biological controls by using nematodes to either attack pl- pests or actually fight off other nematodes to save crops. I interviewed her for my podcast over a year ago and she got back in touch with me and said she's working on this other cool project called Astro Nematode where she's actually going to send the first nematodes into space. And I said, wow, that is so cool. In fact, I'm just interested in agriculture and space in general. Could you introduce me to some other people who, who are doing interesting work, you know, kind of in uh, farming in space and ag in space. And so she did. And one of those uh, was Dr. Ray Wheeler, like you mentioned. Uh, he's the first person that we're kind of uh, talking to in this interstellar agriculture series, we're calling it. Uh, he has been working for NASA for 30 years. And then before that, he did postdoc work uh, that was NASA funded. And then he, before that, he got his PhD in a NASA funded project as well. So he has, I mean, he really, you're not going to find someone with more deep domain knowledge when it comes to the work NASA is doing as far as farming in space. And one thing that was really interesting that, that um, I learned from him was how much their research has actually contributed to terrestrial agriculture, everything from kind of growing under LED lighting um, to some of, you know, just kind of some of the hardware we might use for controlled environment ag. And it really got me thinking like, okay, well, even the skeptics who might say, what a waste of time and money to be looking at growing food in space when we have hungry people in the U.S. And my answer to that is, you know, look at what innovations can come as a product of you know, extreme constraints, which you won't get a more extreme constraint than space and you won't find a more closed system where you have to use, you have to recycle all the waste and you can only bring so much up there. And so it's actually a wonderful exercise in sustainable agriculture is figuring out, okay, how do we go up with the least amount of inputs possible and create the most amount of outputs and not waste anything because we have nowhere to put the waste. And so it's been, uh, it was really fantastic to talk to Dr. Wheeler and, and kind of learn about how space farming or the idea of space farming contributes to terrestrial farming. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Yeah, and talking about LED lights, um, I had no idea that that's kind of where that kind of started because years ago, for hydroponics, they had to use these giant bulbs that were super expensive and very hot, but now they're just using LED lights. So that's super fascinating that that came from NASA. I mean, you hear all these different stories like Velcro came from NASA and all this other stuff, but it's really cool that you can see a direct impact that growing plants in space has caused where they used LED lights and then that cost kind of came here and now we're using LEDs in hydroponics here on Earth. So that's super cool. Yeah, it definitely is. And then he started talking about, you know, uh, how much we rely on gravity, you know, to in terrestrial farming because everything from how a crop grows and to how water interacts with the roots and it doesn't really go away if you don't have gravity to remove it. And so how you deal with those issues, it was, it was fascinating. So I appreciate bringing that up because that was a lot of fun and we just, uh, we just released it uh, two days ago. Yeah. And it was a great listen. I love listening to it today. Um, I'm, I'm a little jealous that they were able to successfully grow potatoes and that's super cool because I've tried that. 
I tried it kind of a, a very tr easy way. I just put a sweet potato and tried it in an NFT system. Well, I mean, it kind of dissolved and went away, but that's, I'm glad that they had su some success there. And that's basically just like the Martian where they grew potatoes in space and boom, success. That's great. Yeah, yeah, because I, I thought it was interesting. You've got to think of all considerations because just because you can grow something, if it's not really going to have caloric density and be, you know, nutrient dense, um, it's it's not really worth your time. And so I think it, uh, potatoes is one place that the movie The Martian got right. And it <laughs> certainly was reflected in, in my conversation with Dr. Wheeler. Yeah, and they brought up or he brought up another point, which I've never really thought about is in it's the edible biomass. So he said, for example, like lettuce, you can eat most of a lettuce plant, like 85% of it. So you're not going to waste a whole lot of space, but something like a pepper plant, you're not going to eat a whole lot of it. So you've got to really focus on plants to have more edible biomass to grow them in a controlled environment like that, which is a really cool point to bring up. Yeah, no, that's, it's super interesting. You're right. It's not, it's not something we think about here. Uh, we're, it's almost so ingrained in us to, uh, you know, not really think about some of the, the externalities of what we're growing. And so to put it in under those extreme constraints really brings those issues to light. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, that was a really cool conversation. What, what are some other great guests that you've had on and some other really cool topics that you've learned a great amount about? Oh boy, I've I have really uh, I was lucky enough, and I think you're doing this too. I really like what you what you're setting up with this podcast, which is you kind of keep it defined enough where you you could tell a guest that's going to fit versus one that's not, but you keep it broad enough where you can learn a lot about it, you know, different things. And that's been my experience. You know, one person that um, I really enjoyed having on the podcast, I think it would be a great fit for this one too, is uh, Stephen Ritz. He's got a book called The Power of a Plant. He's with uh, Green Bronx Machine. He's a, he's a teacher in the Bronx, and he has uh, he started um, kind of teaching his students about about agriculture and about healthy eating. And he's actually turned it into this whole context for how you should teach everything is kind of through agriculture. And oh wow! He wrote a book about it. He's been on you know all sorts of programs. He's had a couple TEDx talks. Really, really fascinating guy. He's so animated and so excited. I could tell you know, how exactly he's able to get kids excited about agriculture because his enthusiasm is just really, really infectious. So, so he's a really good one. You know, I, I, I really enjoyed, we've done a couple series, including um, a series on sustainability at scale, sort of really looking at sustainability from a data uh, lens. Uh, and, and sometimes sustainable agriculture isn't always what you think. And so that was been really kind of cool to to question assumptions on everything from, you know, scale and scale that might be more or less sustainable. You know, sometimes smaller and more local can be more sustainable. Sometimes larger, more centralized can be more sustainable and kind of looking at the data there. That was really interesting. Uh, did a series on blockchain uh, because I was hearing a lot about blockchain, but nobody seemed to really understand it. Uh, this was, you know, it's been a while now. This is uh, almost two years ago. And uh, so that kind of sticks out in my mind as well. I can imagine. That's all really neat to hear. Um, what, what would be your goal for maybe the next year or two for the Future of Ag podcast? I mean, obviously, you want your podcast to grow, to get more, um, more people interested in agriculture and to get more different messages out there. So what exactly would be your goal for the next year or two? Yeah, I love this question because a lot of people kind of think, you know, you just do a podcast and you show up and you talk every week and you don't, that's kind of it. But actually, there is quite a bit of thinking that, that goes into it. And so um, this interstellar ag uh, series has got me very, very interested um, in in things like um, synthetic biology and cell 
based foods uh, to kind of look at how that might impact uh, the future of agriculture. And so I, I definitely want to do more work there in, in sort of the biotechnology space and, and kind of answer some of my own questions, uh, but also kind of share that what I'm learning with the group. Also, I'd like to get more um, international. Uh, I tend to be very U.S. focused because of the, those are the clients I work with every day in my recruiting business. And, and that's just kind of where my network exists. But I'd like to get more international uh, with my content. And I'd like to start incorporating more video, not necessarily video podcasts, but I, um, I've got a, a YouTube channel for, for AgGrad. And I think some of the issues we're discussing on the Future of Agriculture podcast would, would be well suited for video on that channel. That's all great to hear. Yeah, I've learned that because we've interviewed about two or three international people and it's so cool to kind of get their perspectives and how different and also how similar our ag industries are. And that's great that you're going to try to do some more videos because I know more and more people are going to YouTube, are looking for videos. So it's all about kind of bringing your message to them and where the audience is. So I wish you guys the best of luck. That's all really cool to hear. Thank you. Yeah. And, and that's a, you know, big challenge with podcasts is always discoverability. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard for people to Google uh, a question and find a podcast episode. I know Google's making strides to make that more possible and more f- accessible, but it's been a big problem as far as discoverability. If somebody's really looking for an agriculture podcast focused on innovation, they'll probably find me. But if they're just having a question about blockchain, for example, it'd be pretty tough for them to find a, a specific podcast episode. On the flip side, though, YouTube is, uh, you know, either the second or third largest search engine, I think. And uh, and, and it could be a lot more discoverable if I, if I can translate some of my content there. Oh, yeah, exactly. I've learned just a little bit by doing this podcast. It's all about figuring out the system, figuring out how the algorithm works, whether it's on iTunes or YouTube or whatever. So I definitely hope it works to your advantage and all of our advantages. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Well, Tim, a question I like to ask everybody right now, and I feel like you would have a really good opinion on this. Um, That question is, what are your thoughts on the farmer-consumer relationship right now? I mean, I feel like more and more people are able to kind of see what farmers do with social media and all that jazz, but also there's a lot of really bad information out there. So what's your thoughts on the farmer consumer relationship right now in 2019? Uh, I'm really optimistic right now on the farmer consumer relationship. I I think uh, there, there have been reasons talked about for decades of why the quote unquote gap has grown as far as, you know, the consumers don't know where their food comes from. Nobody knows a farmer anymore. And, uh, you know, nobody kind of trusts, you know, the food supply. And, and that's true. And that's why it's been talked about, you know, for, for decades. But I think uh, kind of back to what we were talking about earlier, I think the combination of technology and the, there just seems to be this natural curiosity among a lot of consumers, especially in developed, you know, developed countries about, well, we kind of want to know, you know, we're not, we're not okay with the gap either. I don't think either side is really okay with it. And I think there's going to be increasing um, accessibility through technology for, for both sides. And so I think those that are sincerely interested in learning where those food, their food comes from, and for the producer side, those sincerely interested in connecting with consumers, there's going to be more opportunities than ever. So, so I'm, I'm actually really optimistic about, about the future in that way. Uh, I also think we'll, you know, right along with that, we'll see more direct to consumer opportunities. Now, do I think your Midwest row crop farm is going to next year, all of a sudden start selling all of their corn and beans (laughs) direct to consumer? Absolutely not. But I think maybe they'll, they'll start considering shaving off a few acres and setting up a website. I I think uh, we're going to see more and more of that. 
I'm glad you're I'm glad you're very optimistic about it because a lot of people are but you've also got a lot of people out there that are kind of not very optimistic about it they think there's just so much clutter but I, I kind of agree with you I think there's going to be a lot more good than harm than comes out of all this stuff I mean you've got better chains of communication you've got people kind of doing better research and all that jazz so um, now real quick I just thought of this off the top of my head um, what are your thoughts on the new Impossible Burger, Beyond Meat Burger. I've listened to it on a few podcasts. Um, I think on the Modern Acre they covered it. Um, what are your thoughts on those new kind of meatless meats? Yeah, I think actually there's an article that just came out this week from the CEO of Whole Foods that said, you know, there there definitely is data to show that that it can be in some ways friendlier to the environment and so more sustainable in that way. Of course, sustainable being a catch-all term, but but in, in this case, sort of relative to the environmental impact and how much resources go into it. Uh, but and this is from the CEO of of Whole Foods, um, there there's really no nutritional benefit whatsoever. And I think some might argue that, that you kind of miss out on, on some of the nutrition. And so I think, um, number one, I think it's great. Let's, let's offer more choices to consumers. Uh, it's all agriculture in, in my mind. And so, uh, I have nothing fundamentally against it. I don't consider it a threat to the beef industry. Uh, but I do consider it an important part, uh, moving forward. I, I think what I have my eye on is not so much the plant-based meats, um, but the cell grown meats. They're still way too expensive to be commercially viable, but, uh, that, trend is 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 getting more and more attractive and so um i think a, a company like finless foods who's, who's going to be on uh, the future of ag here in an upcoming episode is super interesting uh because you know he's got a compelling case of of um kind of saving us for from some of the damage we're doing to the oceans and through overfishing and 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 that sort of thing um by by growing it in, in a lab and i think that's very 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 interesting stuff there and i i i uh i just i had one more comment on your your previous question there and i you know what i just lost it so i don't have any more comments <laughs> well, well perfect um oh i, I know what i was going to say because you were talking about the gap between con uh producers and consumers and, and and one thing i found from doing the podcast is there are people who are really, really interested in being in agriculture coming at it from very different angles. So I, I get people who listen to the podcast and come to me wanting to get into agriculture because they're interested in technology, others that are really interested in sustainability, others that are really interested in health, public health and healthcare, others that are really, really interested in innovation and entrepreneurship and want to affect, you know, big change. And so they all see agriculture as sort of a means to an ends through that lens. And I, I think uh, rather than just always trying to say, hey, here's where your food comes from, we could put it in one of those contexts. Hey, here's why agriculture is important to public health. And then it starts to get a whole lot more interesting. So sorry, sorry for that kind of disjointed answer, but I wanted to. <laughs> hey, no, that's fine. That's a really cool concept. I'm kind of relating it to public health because now people are just so removed from their food. And I mean, it, it, I've thought about it. The more the person gets removed from the farmer, they get into trouble with more processed foods, lots of sugars, lots of salt. And so I think that's very smart. If you kind of think of it as a public health option or a public health view, you're like, all right, you can kind of improve that relationship and improve the knowledge between the farmer and the, and the consumers. That's a really good, cool, a really cool way of thinking about it. Um, and I like your viewpoint earlier that um, various meats like Impossible Burger or the Beyond Meat Burger and even the Finless Foods, that it's going to be a very complimentary aspect of it because it's another option you can have, but also typical things like regular beef or regular pork or regular fish is always going to be around. I feel, I feel like there's always going to be a market where no matter how advanced, like a hundred years in the future, we might be able to 3d print a steak 
well, I'm sure there's still going to be some typically raised steak that you can buy in a market or something. So I think it's a really cool way where everybody can be har har harmonious. And so Impossible Burgers can hopefully get, get along with regular burgers. So I've seen that Burger King is actually offering the Beyond Meat Burgers, and it's apparently helped their sales go up. Because honestly, I haven't eaten in Burger King in years, but I might go now just to try the, the, the Beyond Meat Burger. <laughs> Good for you. No, I uh, I have two little kids, and so we haven't done Burger King, but but they both ask for McDonald's on a weekly basis, and so I'm sure I'll be trying one at McDonald's one of these days. But yeah, I think you know the agriculture industry, um, speaking from more of a con in the conventional sense, has has tried to become advocates for technology in the food supply for quite some time through things like, you know, GMOs and, and say, look, technology in your food is not a bad thing. We're trying to be more sustainable. We're trying to be more effective at what we do. And so, you know, the last thing in my mind, the agriculture industry should be doing now is trying to demonize other new tech in the agriculture industry. And so I, I welcome companies like Impossible Foods and uh, Beyond Meat, and, and then those that will come behind them that are looking at it from more of a, a cell-based agriculture culture, whether or not, you know, you or I choose to eat them personally, I think we should, uh, we should consider them allies in trying to use technology to make our food supply uh, better for, for all parties involved. Exactly. I totally agree. I mean, if it makes any difference in climate change or anything at all, might as well change, might as well give it a try. So yeah, totally agree. Um, well, Tim, this has been a really cool conversation talking about all things agriculture, kind of your experience with your podcast. Um, so if people want to learn more about you, you're on iTunes, Spotify, it's just the Future Bag Podcast. Well, where else can they go to find you and follow what you're up to? Yeah, I'm most active on Twitter at Tim Hammerich or, or LinkedIn. I'm glad to connect with you there. Um, or or our website is aggrad.com, just kind of like agriculture graduate. So A-G-G-R-A-D.com. Sweet. Well, Tim, we wish you the best of luck, man. We'll send our people your way. Thanks so much for being on and we'll talk to you soon. Great to talk to you, Trevor. Really appreciate the interview. Hey, everyone. We're trying to make things easier for you to listen to the podcast. We are now a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and that means you can now find us on an additional platform. We're now available on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs like Samsung, and even game systems. While you're on there, check out over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films. Download the app and watch and listen anywhere. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.